Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a thing. This is really happening. All right. So I actually wanted to start this off. Uh, can you hear everything like through your headphones? Yeah, I can hear it all. Yeah. All right. So I actually wanted to, uh, to tell you, I, I don't know if you remember how I met you. Uh, um, so we were at the gym um, at Crunch. And I'd, I'd seen you around there before, but <coughs> I had never actually known anybody. You know, like when you're the new guy in the gym, and at that point I was smaller and really chubbier. And uh, you had a freak out. Oh. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So, yeah, well, it wasn't a freak out, but it was like a, it was a PTSD or something yeah, like that. Yeah, flashback. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I remember I came up and I was like, hey, is everything all right? You know, like, and kind of talked a little bit. And that's kind of like what got me interested, you know, and then like after like kind of becoming friends and talking and going out to dinner and stuff, that was why I wanted to, to kind of get to see your point of view on things. Oh. Um, and, but also kind of see where you came from. Um, just because I found out we've came from the same place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I found out your mom babysitted, babysat me. Yeah. Yeah, that was a weird text to get. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, so I actually, I texted my mom. Yeah. And I was like, hey, I think I, I met one of the kids that used to babysit. And she just started laughing. <laughs> but I mean, she had so many people in and out of there. It was kind of yeah, hard. I don't even remember it, to be honest. I was, I think I was a toddler, apparently. So that's what my mom told me, so... Yeah, so you grew up in Adrian. Yeah. Uh, was that pretty much like the whole the whole stint? Or did you kind of move around? Or? No, Adrian was where I was, one through 18. So, Or, well, not one, I suppose. Like, I think I was around three or four when we, when we moved to Adrian, mm -hmm. or, or the Lenawee County area in general. I, we started out up in um, Eaton Rapids area, Okay, if you know where that's at. Uh, out vaguely, by, out yeah. by Jackson, sorta, yeah. and then yeah, we moved out here and we lived on James Street basically until I left for. I did join the Navy briefly. Um, I just went to boot camp and left. I got separated medically, so <laughs> um, yeah. But anyway, so I left and I came back, but I immediately moved out to Howell and actually lived with some people that probably don't like me very much anymore. I never got to apologize to, so if they ever see this, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I, I was mean, an awful human being. I mean, what happened? It's kind of... Yeah. I mean, you lead up to a story, is, or is it just something you don't really like talking about? Nah, it's, it's, it was just like I was, I was not a good guy when I was like basically all the way up until I went to prison. So. Yeah. So, I mean, that's part of the reason I went to prison. So, I was having... You know, a lot of complex PTSD. I had a lot of childhood trauma from going to school and being bullied, which to this day I talk to my therapist about. I'm like, you know, I had a breakthrough. I, uh, I identified one of my triggers, you know. Yeah. And so, like, just growing up in Adrian and, like, being bullied, my parents always taught me to turn the other cheek and go tell the teacher. <laughs> but I would... Yeah. I, yeah. I, my dad sort of told me he kind of regrets that. He wishes he just would have put me in martial arts and been, like, you know, tell them to like, fuck off or whatever. Or can yeah. I swear? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> dude, it's just us. Oh, okay. yeah. I don't really think anybody's in charge of it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But I just wasn't sure for the punishment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I don't give a shit. Okay, okay. Yeah. But, you know, it's, 
you know, they say the, the, the highly intelligent swear, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got to have like a full palette of words to yeah. be able to paint your the, Yeah, the picture. Because it's, yeah. I mean, because, you know, what's the best way to get somebody to be like, hey, fuck off, like, stop making fun of me. Or else what? Okay, or I'll defend myself. Yeah. Like, you know, if you can put your hands on me, but once you put your hands on me, it's go time, baby. Yeah. You know, and, but, you know, they never taught me that, so I'd go tell the teacher and they wouldn't believe me and I'd go tell the teacher and they wouldn't believe me and I, I couldn't read till second grade and the only reason I remember figuring out how to read was because this the school aide yelled at me and was like, why can't you just read the book? Are you stupid or something? It was something to that effect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like had a full blown like shit fit because I couldn't figure out how to read. But they didn't know I was like dyslexic or partially dyslexic or whatever. But I, so I went home and forced myself how to read and then that was in second grade, and then I went from like not being able to read to being like one of the best readers in the class. Yeah. And they just figured it out. And uh, I would always be the first one done with math, but I never have the highest score because I wrote my twos and fives the wrong way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'd always get those rounds wrong, yeah. even though they're technically right. So, oh, is that, oh, she's coming in. No, oh. sorry. Is it, I can just edit it and cut okay. it out too if it happens. So yeah, I'm not worried about it. Some distractions, okay. Yeah. But anyway, um, what was I talking about? Uh, your childhood and how like you got bullied and oh, yeah. the teachers never believed no, you. Oh yeah, and the math tests and all that other yeah. stuff. So, but but essentially, you know, I did pretty well in school. It was kind of boring for me, but I had no social skills whatsoever. I didn't know how to like make jokes or take jokes, so I got really got bullied for that. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I never was taught how to like express the emotions that were happening. You know, I mm-hmm. you know I love my parents. They were doing the best they could and. It was really their, tr- you know, as I become more of an adult, I realized it was their trust in the system that really kind of screwed me over because they were so young. They didn't know what mental health was. They didn't know, you know, how to, you know, model emotive behavior, how to like explain my feelings or, you know, sh- stuff that was going on. Yeah. So, but they took care of me nonetheless. But unfortunately, I would get suspended from school and I would be disciplined at home, which really sucked, mm-hmm. which led to a lot of, time spent in my bedroom alone <laughs> now that I think about it but so there's a lot of stuff from that and then you know in high school you know I ended up being a self-harmer so I used to cut myself because I always knew I didn't want to hurt other people there was like this inherent I don't know desire not to hurt people because yeah. I didn't like to be hurt so that's the reason I cut myself and sometimes I cut myself to scare people and it worked Oh, sorry, I'm burping. <laughs> no, these were a bad choice, yeah. but they're just really good. Yeah, they're pretty good. But, <clears throat> you know, so because I had this desire not to hurt people, I ended up just, you know, inflicting harm on myself to sort of quiet the anguish and shame and guilt and anger and everything that, you know, I got from, you know, I got made fun of for being overweight. I got made fun of, for, I, got fun of I got made fun of for being overweight. I got made fun of for... Okay. Wait, you were overweight? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, that was actually one thing that I was going to ask you when you started talking about high school and yeah. getting bullied and everything. So I've known you, I don't know, two years, something like that. Yeah. You're normally the bigger guy in the gym. Yeah. Like, there's normally not anybody bigger than you. When did, like, so was that a part of your life in high school? 
Like, were you a bigger guy? Oh, muscle, yeah. Muscle-wise. No, no. No, I was pretty over... I was pretty fat, basically. Okay. I was... Uh, I don't know. Something happened, like, when I was, like, in... So I was on a really young, I had this face rash, and doctors couldn't figure it out. So they gave me some sort of hormonal treatment to like try to get rid of the rash. And then I don't know if it was related to that or if it's just how it turned out. But like from one year to the next year, I just got super chunky as a kid. And I just went, I got overweight. Yeah. Like, and I don't know, as I got older, you know, like it never really went away. So, like, and yeah, so I just, I got really, really fat. <laughs> so. I was like two, I ended up being like two, almost 250 in 10th grade, but I was only like, I think I was a couple inches shorter than I am now. So I was like, I was wearing like pants, like 40 somethings. Back in like so, the Jinko days? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, I wore a lot of Dickies actually, because I rode bikes. I did, BM, uh, I did BMX stuff. Yeah. With, with uh, you might know like Matt Lindsay and Rodney Contreras. I, the uh, Rincon. I think was a guy that we used to ride back there, Joey Rincon. Um, Did he? I know, but we used to go to Bloody Hills a lot. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those hills. But anyway. Um, but yeah, so, and actually, so that's what actually led to me getting really skinny, was in 10th grade, I had gotten that big, and I showed up to wrestling, and this coach, I won't say his name, because some people mean well. <laughs> I, th- I think I know who you're talking about. But yeah, I don't want to say his name because he's a nice guy. And he yeah. has a good heart. But he was like, "What the fuck? Do you even care about wrestling?" And yeah, I, I know. Like, <laughs> I was like, "Yeah." And like literally, in like ten months, I'm from two forty to like one fifty eight or something. Really? <laughs> yeah. And I I I was so committed to proving him wrong that I was waking up at like four forty five in the morning because I think the YMCA opened at five, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I'm pretty sure that's what it was back in those days. But whatever it was, it was either 4.45 to be there at 5 or it was 5.45 to be there at 6. But at first, my dad was dropping me off because I like made him get up. He had to get up for work anyway when he worked mm-hmm. out at the prison. But I, was, I literally got up every morning, got to the gym, did 30 minutes on the elliptical orbiter, went down into the uh, oh, weight the pit dungeon. area. Yeah, and would do like rope crunches and like bicep curls and tricep push downs. And I think that's the reason why my triceps got so developed because I would do like a crazy amount of tricep stuff <laughs> like every morning for an additional I think 45 minutes because I think I had to be to school by a little bit before eight. it was like 740 or something like that so my, yeah. I left myself a, just a sliver of time to like shower and then get to school but I did that five days a week like all the way basically through almost my senior year so this was this anything to do with the wrestling team or this was strictly to prove him wrong that, that was a hundred percent to to lose weight for wrestling because and and to prove him wrong yeah like I do I did care about wrestling but I just got so like just like I'm gonna be yeah I got how, like how'd um, you do in wrestling I was actually I was okay like I probably could have been a lot better had I had more confidence I was always scared yeah. like I was always I was always pushing myself like I don't think a lot of people realize it but like I was every time I was doing shit I was scared <laughs> But I'm a lot less scared now because, you know, as you get older, you just kind of realize some shit's not as scary as you really think it is. Yeah. But I, I found out that everybody's scared. Yeah. Literally, everybody's scared. It's just the thing that nobody talks about. Yeah, that yeah. too. <laughs> but it's like, I was scared to, like, step on the mat with some random fucking stranger I've never met and be like, all right, here we fucking go. Like, <laughs> you know, like... Like, practice is one thing, but, like, 
when you're competing, it was like a whole, a whole other thing. And that was, that was a hard thing to master. And that was my biggest weakness was I didn't have the same confidence as a lot of the other guys had. Yeah. But like I could, you know, by my senior year, I was beating everybody at my two weight classes. I was <laughs> and, you know, it was, I could go toe to toe with them. They, and I'm pretty sure they all ended up going to States their senior year and stuff like that. I, I didn't finish wrestling because I hurt my back really bad. <laughs> so that was a good time. Yeah. Yeah, but like after the first tournament, I went like four and one at our like big first tournament. I think there was even a newspaper article about me because I like won the most matches for Adrian that day. I think there might have been one other guy that went four and one. I can't remember, but I got nervous. Like my my last match, it was against the guy who like won uh, districts or something like the year before, and the coach. I, he shouldn't have told me. I, I don't know. It really got in my head. He's like, this guy won, but you're better than him. You can beat him. And I got so in my head, I went up to the mat. He just put me in a headlock and fucking pinned me. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not that, I was not that bad of a wrestler, though. That's yeah. the thing that, like, I got so, I, like, he didn't, he beat me before I even stepped on the mat because he was already in my head because my, my coach told me how good he was. Yeah, no, that's what, so, it's definitely a thing. It's, I've never understood wrestling from the standpoint of, for me, he was a good coach, though. Yeah, coach. yeah. For me, I, I always thought like physical violence was a way to protect myself. It wasn't something in wrestling. I know it's it's a it's a sport. Yeah, but it would be hard for me to go against a random stranger and wrestle and not have that aggression kind of kicked in. You know, like how do you even do that? Do you just look at it as another man across from you, or do you look at it as like a sport? Um, back then it felt more like what a fight would feel like. Oh, okay. Because, because you really, there is a part of you that is like, I could be kind of a dick. Like there's things that you can do that are legal that inflict pain. And like, sometimes when you come against the, up against those guys, it's frustrating because, well, at least for people like me, because I didn't like to try to inflict maximum pain. Right. And there's some guys that do. It's just like a, I don't know, at least in my experience, you know, there, there, obviously there might be people who are like, what the fuck are you talking about? You know, I'm not, I only wrestled from like the time I was like 10 to eight, 18, technically. I did do MMA for a couple of years too, though, but so there's a lot of, there's like this weird hierarchy in like wrestling and stuff like that. Yeah. Where it's like, you're not a real wrestler if you didn't do X, Y, and Z or something like that. But, you know, wrestling, it wasn't for wrestling, you know, wrestling really shaped my life, you know, because I you know, started in like, what, like sixth grade or something like that. Yeah. And it was way better than, fun. it was way better than fucking soccer, you know. <laughs> it seems like, like a lot of your life is like very disciplined. Yeah. Like the, the little that I remember about your mother, because um, uh-huh. apparently I worked with her <laughs> when, when I was a kid, um, but she was very disciplined. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, like, all of my like friends that have like uh, a Spanish mother, yeah, they know about the chompas. And they, yeah, <laughs> they got to run away. And like, very disciplined. She really liked wooden spatulas. <laughs> I mean, yeah, ones. whatever works. Um, I don't know what that is in Spanish. So. Yeah, but so everything's very disciplined. Yeah. So you going through high school, everybody's kind of partying and everything. Do you ever get into like that side of high school? No, I didn't really. I drank like maybe. My parents would probably not believe me, but I only drank like a handful of times, and I'm pretty sure I threw up at least once and absolutely hated it. Uh, I only smoked weed a handful of times, and 
you know, I, I had parents call me once, but I hated it when I was a teenager. Like one time my friends convinced me that I, if like I fell asleep, I would die. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I stayed up all night and then went to wrestling practice the next morning. <laughs> Still kind of high with no sleep. Uh, and my, I had a, my mom had to pick me up and take me too. And she's like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, I'm going to sleep. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> and then the one time I, they, well, actually the very first time I smoked, it was with this old buddy that I know and his like brother-in-law was like, can you see the TVs on the wall? And then it just, and then I thought I died, you know, that kind of experience. Cause I was like, Oh my God, I was just standing by the door and now I'm not standing by the door anymore. Yeah. I'm fucking dead. Oh yep. God. Like, oh, yeah. like that, like that kind of trip. <laughs> so I hated smoking when I was a kid and my parents don't even know I only did it maybe three or four times. Like, I was not like a, somebody prone to drugs. I was much more addicted to the, the physicality of like sports and stuff like that. Like, mm-hmm. I even pole vaulted um, my life. Nice. <laughs> you pole vaulted? <laughs> yeah. Dude, it's hard to see you pole vaulting now. Oh, man. I think my dad has videos of it, but if my shoulder wasn't bad, I could probably still pull off like a, a straight bar technique. <laughs> wow. That's a weird sport. Yeah, it's I'm, fun though. It definitely looks fun. I've, every time I've seen it, it I just feel like that it's just gonna like bend and snap. And oh, I, I've done that once. Really? Yeah, it was. <laughs> it hurt a little bit, but it kind of messes with your brain a little bit. So it took me a couple a couple weeks to get back to normal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's almost like that balloon about the pop feeling. I feel like that just carried with you forever. Yeah, um, it's crazy. Yeah, so I know like a lot of people that I've already talked to, we've talked about like drinking and things like that. And I know you've kind of like said that you had a problem with drinking. Yeah. When did that kick in? Because if you're in high school, you're wrestling, you're not really drinking, you're not partying or anything. Mm-hmm. And like I, when I was in Adrian, it wasn't that big of a thing. Now, it, it, times have changed. So like yeah. the whole party scene might not have been there. But I mean, like at some point, you were in the military. Yeah. That's definitely a part in that scene. When did that kind of like kick in or like become well, something that you decided to start doing? I can start. Yeah, I, I can fill the gaps from there. Basically, so basically, what everything I told you my entire childhood, mm-hmm. all the way, even leading out of high school, was just traumatic, and I was trying to run away from it as much as possible. So, did you ever actually run away? Well, I tried a couple of times, but I came back with the tail between my legs you know? but because um, I was never mad at my family and it took me a really long time to figure that out because I you know it's, my family is terrible with expressing feelings and I love all of my family and I don't think they understand it and I don't know how to communicate it to them sometimes but like I was never mad at them for anything so when I would run away I, it would just bother me I'm like I'm not mad at them but like I didn't realize it until much later on, but that's that, that was that feeling that I was having. Like, it's not them. It's just the shit that we live in. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to want to run away from life because Adrian's a terrible place. <laughs> it, well, it was pretty, it was pretty bad. And you know, I want to help out as much as I can. So we'll, uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, yeah. So Adrian <laughs> but, itself, from my perspective, Adrian is, it can be a great city. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like, if you're not from there and you drive through there, I feel like if you drive through, like, stay away from the fairground side. Yeah. You, know, you go to a main street, don't take a left. Yeah. <clears throat> it's not that bad of a city. And at one point, it used to be something. Yeah. And now it's kind of, it's falling apart. Yeah. So it is cool but, if you're going back there. Yeah. 
Uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> but, uh, so nonetheless, I was always trying to run away from it, you know, and I had, like, mental health problems even in high school, which, you know, I obviously didn't say anything about when I joined, but, uh, you know, when I decided to join the Navy was when I went to wrestling camp from my junior, senior year. There was a bunch of Navy SEALs there, and they were like, do this physical screening test. And I, at that point, was, like, super good at everything. I, like, did really good swim time, did really good uh, push-up, pull-up, and sit-ups, and I did a really good run time. Like, I actually came in under under all of the actual requirements for the actual Navy SEAL PST thing, so... They like pulled like a few of us aside, and you guys like they're, you guys. They're like you guys all passed. Like you were the top five people or whatever. Like you guys should consider joining the Navy. Blah 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 blah. And like my all my buddies are joining the Marines. And then um, I was over there talking to the recruiter because the SEALs had sent me, you know, to Adrian to you know when I got back. They're like you need to go to your recruiting office. We'll let them know that you're on your way. <laughs> so like they already knew I was coming. And I was talking to him. All my friends were in the Marine Corps office, and then I walked over to the Marine Corps office, and you know, I was—I really wasn't even thinking about joining, and you know, it eventually turned it into nothing. But you know, I still went through this whole process. But um, essentially, there was this, this Marine Corps dude in there. He's like, "You can't just be a Navy SEAL, blah blah blah." And uh, so then I went and signed up. But basically, you know, I signed up, left, went to boot camp got basically all the way through boot camp and then just got medically separated because of a, you know, mental health problem. So, um, so then I left and basically just kind of putzed around, you know, I lived in Howell for like a year with, like I said, that family. So that was part of, that was part of, that was part of the story. <laughs> and so I lived up there for a little while and just like kind of kept a low profile, tried to attend a little community college, failed out because I didn't show up to class. Yeah, um, that happens. <laughs> they they want you to show up to, to get the grade. Yeah. So um, moved back to around the Adrian while uh, Adrian area for a while, and and then after the tail end of like how I don't know how long I was wandering around for about three years ish, I, I went up to decided to go up to Eastern because I had I felt like I was ready to be free and do something, but I was still really messed up from like. All the stuff that happened to me as a kid, all the stuff that happened in high school, just some of the random stuff that happened to me while I was just, you know, putzing around, I suppose, because a lot of random weird stuff I got myself into during those times. But in any, in any of, none of that time had I learned how to have, like, a relationship with somebody. And so around the time I went to Eastern, I was dating somebody that was going to Michigan State. And then, you know, basically... That's the person that I was dating, was dating, and sort of, you know, went and perpetrated this crime that, always rough to talk about, but um, a lot of people get wrong, but I won't talk too much about it, but, you know. I mean, feel free, whatever, um, whatever you feel like, man. Well, I don't want anybody to, like, go try to yeah talk to anybody, like, I don't know how, you know, how, how, how many people <laughs> watch this or anything like that, yeah. but. But basically, you know, I went and did some really bad shit to, like, more than one person, you know, on a mission to go yell at this, you know, girl that I was dating that had bro broke up with me, like, you know, uh, a day, I think the day before, maybe it could have been a week. But I was a complete fucking asshole. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> like... Were you drinking then, or...? Yeah, I was, I was, that was, at that point, I was drinking a lot. When did you start that? 
like uh, that whole tale leading up to that? Uh, like two years after graduating from high school, when I had slightly more free time, but really after that third year when um, I decided to go to Eastern, it really picked up because I hadn't really tried to address anything. You yeah. know, it's hard to look at yourself sometimes, especially when you're younger and just. Had just you've just been steered in all of the wrong directions. Hindsight is twenty yeah. twenty, man. And you just let other people determine your path. Just that this whole cascade of I'm going to prove this person wrong. I'm going to prove this person wrong. I'm going to prove this person wrong. That's why bodybuilding was even a thing that I proved somebody wrong doing. But I ended up liking it a lot, so I just kind of stuck with it, <laughs> and I decided to use it for something else other than just being a bodybuilder. Yeah. Um, but so anyway. So, you know, I went and did this dumb shit and, you know, injured, I think all three of them kind of, kind of hurt them. Like one person was assaulted with a weapon and I punched another person in the face and fractured his uh, orbital socket bone. So, you know, they didn't deserve any of that. Like, <laughs> like, did you know who they were? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, I actually knew all of them. It was like the person, that person I was dating and then. You know, other just other people that she knew that I knew yeah. too. So like, um, so yeah, you know, and it's like, and that's what got me to, you know, prison. You know, I got charged with a whole bunch of felonies. I was in jail, and my dad like took out a loan basically to bail me out because he had to come up with like seventy five hundred dollars. One of his really good buddies, who's also a corrections officer, you know, an amazing dude. He actually survived stage four non Hodg non Hodgkin's lymphoma. Yeah. yeah, and then retired from the apartment. Now he's uh, an occupational therapist, I think, or something like that. I don't know. He's Yeah, he got another degree after he retired from being a corrections officer. So That's like my, really cool. Yeah, like what my dad's doing. So, But anyway, where was I at? So you went through, you committed these crimes, oh, yeah. we'll say. You committed these crimes, yeah. and then you and, now you know, have to go to prison. Now, yeah, so that, you know, went through the whole process, got charged with these felonies, they... Were cutting me a deal and saying I could go to boot camp and I'd only be gone for like four or five months because it was special alternative incarceration, which is that whole like Chelsea um, boot camp thing. My dad actually was an officer at, at one point too, ironically enough. So your dad was an officer at the boot camp you were in? No, no. Oh, no, no. okay. Like he had, so since he's worked for, my dad has been a, was, was a corrections officer for 29 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, in the 90s, he was a drill instructor at the prison boot camp. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Gotcha. But he was he was he was working in Adrian when I was incarcerated. Yeah. But um, but essentially what happened was you know I took the plea bargain and there was like this actually this little clause that the charge I pled to like you had to be sentenced to like less time in order to qualify. So I ended up having to stay there for the whole. I got sentenced to two and a half to twenty years, so I didn't have to stay in there for actually about three years. So. Um, basically I went to RGC, um, which is in Jackson, where you spend basically 23 hours a day in a cell. <laughs> you get to go out. <laughs> it's a good time. I've heard it looks you. like a row of dog cages. Yeah. And you know, you know, those rumors about like, you know, people banging on the lockers. You're like, Ooh, yeah. fresh meat. A hundred percent true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking literally. Cause you, you see the new guys come in cause it's this big galley basically where it's like these, you know, it's like a bird cage like it's yeah. a it's like a inter like, yeah whatever so like the cells sort of face out and there's like you can look down and there's it's like 
four, four or five levels. There's base one, two, three. So yeah, I think four. I can't remember. It could be five. I, I it's been a long time. Um, but anyway, so like even when I walked in, you know, because you, they could see everybody marching with the fresh uniforms and our bags and shit. So they're hitting the locker. They, ooh, we gonna fuck tonight and all this other shit. <laughs> like, just like all you know, just a bunch of yeah. you know, just the most stereotypical. I mean, shit that you ended up doing a couple days later. Uh, no, I didn't bang on the locker. But <laughs> everybody else did. Um, but so, yeah, you spend 23 hours a day in your cell, and the average stay is about 28 days. When you go in, mm-hmm. so you come out like I just you're this athlete, you know you you're not a small dude. You come into Jackson. Do you mm-hmm. carry like that bravado with you of you know like any sort of confidence, or are no. you completely like balled up and kind of scared? Because I mean that's scary. No matter who you are, I feel like I. I don't know how you can go into that situation not being so. Um, no, I just took the. <laughs> it's easier to be. It's easier to appear weaker than sometimes. And I sort of use that to my advantage because it's. I sort of finesse the way of like hiding. You know, you know, all of the years of wrestling and. Um, you know, just everything, you know, and a yeah. little, little bit of the stuff I got to do at boot camp. Like, at that point, I knew how to handle myself, and I had been in a few fights and stuff right. like that. Um, so I just kind of, like, shrank a little bit and really tried to hide, except lifting. You know, lifting I showed off because lifting is meaningless. But, um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I took that approach. and What's that? Like, so you're in there for 28 days. You said you're in there for like 23 hours a day. Yeah. What do you get that extra hour? Is that yard time? Yeah, basically. Well, they let you have to go to the chow hall to eat. Oh, so yeah. you don't actually get like yard time to get to no, go like, what, like once or twice a week. I we, we went out, They let us walk around the yard like one hour and it was supposed to be like twice a week. But the whole time I was there, I think we went out four times. So it was like once, once a week or yeah. some crap like that. But yeah. So not much could actually happen while you're there. No. I mean, you sometimes you got let out to go like to medical and they do all your medical stuff, and, like dental and um, for your paperwork and stuff like that. But those are like just different call outs or whatever. So you they bring it to your cell and then at that time they come break you out and you put your prison dues on and you go over. And like it was a change of scenery, but there was only like four or five. Yeah. But, like, yeah, it was, a, you know. It kind of broke up the monotony of... It sort of helped break up the, the chunks. But at the end of the 28 days, at like, I don't even know, four in the morning, they put us on these bu- these buses and like you're shackled, belly chained, and cuffed. So like... So do you get a, like a warning at all? Or is it just like some random time during the day like, hey, pack your shit? Yeah, basically they, they, know, they tell you you're... Keep going. They, uh... They basically tell you that day to pack up and you're not allowed to use the phone. And, then, and yeah, most places they tell you after the phone's turned off. So yeah, like, so basically they come to you like late at night and say pack up at like nine or 10 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. So you pack all your shit up and then all you do is you basically sleep in like the clothes that you're going to wear to get transported in because they take your bags and shit and, uh. Or, I don't know, maybe maybe you take it. I can't remember. Like, maybe you hold on to it and you take it or whatever. But anyway, 
everything has to be packed up because it goes under the bus and all you can have on you is the clothes that you're wearing you know like your your blues your white shirt your underwear your your blue pants or whatever so um yeah so but your ankles are connected to your belly that are connected to your wrists and uh we got the pleasure of going straight to the up (laughs) (laughs) so the first place i was longer than that and let me tell you what there's something terrifying about going over a windy bridge in a cage bus with your ankles Shackled to your belly, shackled to your wrists. Oh, yeah. The bus is like... <laughs> There's something about going like, over that bridge in a car that's scary. It's like, this could end my life. I guess I deserve it at this point. Yeah. But, like, yeah, so I went to Pike Unit, and that was like... Literally, I got there, and they're like, we're shutting this facility down. So I was there for like a month. That place had a yard. And I actually, when I first got to a prison, I could still bench 315 for a few reps. So... Yeah. Yeah. So people could saw that I was strong and stuff. So they kind of just, you know, once I did that, and they also saw me sort of like not have an aggressive stance, they realized that I didn't want any problems. So is it, I know I've never been to prison. Um, and clearly coming from like the uneducated standpoint of, you see a lot of people or a lot of movies to really be like, you walk in, you want to hit the biggest guy. That's so dumb. Is like how that. far away from reality That's, is that? I mean, unless you're, unless you're like a lifer going straight to like a level five and you break for chow. I think in some level fives, they all eat chow together potentially or like maybe a level four. But let's say you just get there and I don't know, there's some people trying to fuck with you. And you're about, you're doing, I don't know, you're doing a 15-year sentence or a 20-year sentence or you're doing all day, for example. You're a lifer. If you're in there and you're in a higher level facility or whatever and there's some people that are just, they think that you're vulnerable so they like pick on you or go after you. And I don't even know how often this happens. I've heard about it. I've never, well, I've kind of witnessed it. There is a situation actually, the uh, fake gang member guy. To, well, well to my is, to my knowledge, but you can just talk about it now. What was I talking about just now, though? You're talking about going in to oh, prison, a in higher a higher level. Okay, so yeah. essentially, like if you're in a higher level, and like I said, I, like have never truly don't know how much of this happens, but sometimes they'll try to pick like on somebody they think is weak or something. So if they come to try to fuck with you, and you just absolutely fucking go ape shit, or you know, you secretly you know martial arts or some shit, and you just yeah. blast them out. They might not ever fuck with you again, and they might try one more time, or whatever. Or especially if you don't try to retaliate, or if you just like, you know, you don't beat them up too bad. Maybe yeah. um, they won't mess with you. Now, the only time I really saw something like this was at Parnell when I got down to Jackson. So this is a little fast forward. There was this guy that was supposedly like saying that he was a part of this like particular gang later on supposedly he wasn't and he got repercussions when he got tra- uh, transferred out to this level too supposedly I, I don't even know if I could even ever verify that that's yeah. just what people said in prison and yeah. you know, people know how to communicate to the it's, it really is if you really it is really easy to communicate with the outside world if you have enough money like it's it's not hard 
There are people running organizations from prison. It's crazy. But anyway. It sounds like it's just like a whole world inside of a yeah, world. Yeah, it's its own ecosystem for sure. Yeah. But uh, but anyway, so he was like saying he was just supposedly this higher ranking gang member. And he was like having these guys. He was loaning money out to these like, you know, I hate to say it like this, but like these vulnerable looking, mostly small white guys. Yeah. Right. And, you know, these guys were, you know, some black guys. And so... And essentially, he would, like, loan money to them knowing that, like, they wouldn't be able to pay it back. And then when they couldn't pay it back, like, he'd have these guys drag him in the bathroom and he would do some, I don't know, supposedly he was sexually assaulting them. You know, I, you know, once again, these are just rumors I could never yeah. verify, but... I mean, it's prison, it's kind of... Yeah, so... Yeah. Anyway, eventually he gets caught and uh, he gets, you know, shipped out to a level two and, uh, you know, supposedly when he, once he got there, like, it hit... He already got there, and you know people knew that he was he was representing something that he wasn't, which is a big no no. So, you know, he got taken care of, so to speak. So he probably got like sliced. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, but yeah. So I mean, that's like that's like the the closest thing to reality is like if somebody's trying to take advantage of you and they physically try to like reprimand you and you are able to fight back successfully, but just like sort of leave it even, mm-hmm. like they'll probably leave you alone. Because it's more trouble than it's worth. Yeah, so you don't actually go in looking for a fight. No. Okay. Yeah, because I got a buddy who, he's talked about it a lot, and he's actually, he wants to do this. Um, just, I, he went through Jackson. I don't know where else he went. Mm-hmm. But he kind of said the same thing, that it's just so far-fetched from reality. Yeah. But I wasn't sure if, like, different prisons were different. Oh, different prisons definitely run differently. Like, when I was in, up in Marquette, and Bar- like, Marquette ran differently than Barriga, and Barriga ran differently than Parnell, and Parnell was a lot different than Detroit Ryan Road. Like, up in Marquette, they were so overpopulated that when you first get there, you live in the, the bubble, which is, like, the, it, was used, it used to be the old, like, rec room where they had weights and everything like that. They cleared it out and put a bunch of bunks in. There was, uh, like, 40 people in there. There was, like... A row there was like okay so there was 10 bunks there and like 11 bunks around or something like that so that'd be yeah like 40 people in this big room yeah so you're literally but like it's like about this wide and then bunk and like the bunks are about this wide too yeah actually the bunks are about yeah about this wide yeah so it's bunk and then a space the size of a bunk and then a bunk the space the size of a bunk and a bunk basically oh my God. so you're like when you're getting up on your bunk like it's it's tight and there's been a, there was a lot of Scuffles, actually, I'll say more. Yeah, you like, can't so. step on the bottom bunk if you're on the oh, top. Oh, dude, oh, yeah, I learned <laughs> that real fast. But I put my foot on my bunkie's bed one time. He's like, hey. And it was just like, dude, it was like this weird white guy. I don't even know. But he's like, hey, man, come here. It's like, I got to talk to you real fast. And he would always like rub his fingers <laughs> and like grind his jaw a lot. Yeah. He's like, you don't put your foot on somebody else's bunk. And I'm just going to let it go this time because I know you're new. And I'm just like. All right, man. I'm sorry. I don't want no problems. Yeah. Like I just, I didn't mean to do that. He's like, he's like, just get up there, but just don't put your foot on yeah. ever. So I remembered that. <laughs> like There's a lot of people that are forgiving. Some are more eloquent about it than others, but uh, yeah. So you know, you, you kind of learn really fast. But so yeah. So up in Marquette, you start there, but then you go into like a two man room. Like once you're in there long enough, and as people transfer out, you get like towards the front of the line. You get, the officers kind of pick who goes into rooms though and they try to be fair about it but like if there's people they're trying to watch because they're like suspecting them of like you know getting drugs in or making juice or like doing illegal things they'll put them back in the bubble 
and like watch them and sort of yeah. it's sort of like a punishment of like you better fucking cut it out because we you know because they took them out of their room but anyway uh so yeah you're in a two-man room and uh and actually i can tell you that one weird drug story about it because when i was in this two-man room in marquette i was up in this other there's different dorms too so it wasn't just like is it just always cold up there? Oh, basically, like, yeah. I went to college there. Yeah. Clearly, different college experience than I. Yeah, but like, um, yeah, always cold except yeah. for the summers. It's, well, even the summer wasn't really like hot. Yeah, not like it can get it's, hot down here. It's breezy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's breezy. Yeah, it's. Uh, I could see the lake actually if I stood on this right, the right, just the right spot up in the up in the prison in Marquette. You can see the uh, Lake Superior. Like over by like the coal mines or or the. Whatever those are, where the ships would come in. The Maybe. Would park. Yeah. Maybe. I drove up there once and, dro- and drove past the front of it one time. Just wanted to see it, but oh man. So yeah, two man rooms in the yeah. in the prisons in Marquette, and basically I got put in this room with this dude who had done a seventeen year prison bit and was back on a new charge parole violation. I think so. I did seventeen years, and then he caught a home invasion second degree. And was back in prison for like another like he was doing like a two, a two or three year sentence or bid or whatever. But anyway, so he's like this, and supposedly he's like one of the top. Well, actually, I don't know. Wait, let's just say he was a top gang member from a well known <laughs> local gang. Yeah, probably pretty safe to. Uh, uh, yeah. But he was, you know, he's actually kind of a nice guy, you know. But I'm pretty sure one time they, he, him, and this other guy that they would come in the room and like. Um, Crush up, crush up, uh, Wellbutrin and snort it. <laughs> yeah, oh, right. I don't care what time it is, by the way. Okay, I just didn't know if you did. Um, oh, yeah, Wellbutrin. Yeah, Wellbutrin. They, they said it got him high. I is didn't, that an allergy med? No, it's um, antidepressant. Oh, I'm pretty sure. I should know this. <laughs> I don't have all the drugs memorized. I, I'm, yeah. I feel like a bad clinician right now. <laughs> but, um, well, it's probably best that you don't know which ones you're supposed to snort. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so, but anyway, so they used to do it all the time, and they always asked me if I wanted something. I was like, no, no, thanks, because I mm-hmm. never, I never really had an interest in doing drugs, and um, you know, like look, I told you about my experience with weed when I was younger, so it's like yeah. I wasn't interested. But one day they came in with extra, <laughs> like a lot, and it was a note, as like I could tell, like I was like, oh, I didn't say anything, but they're like, yo, you gonna do something with us today? And I was like, nah, that's all right. And they're like. Gonna do something with us today? Oh. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, you don't have a choice. I was like, wait a minute. Sounds like a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Whew. Yeah. I got it. Got it. <laughs> so. To snore some more <laughs> Yeah. I've never snorted anything in my life. So they had yeah. to like sort of explain it to me. So then I just ground, we grounded it up really good. And I was just like, Poof. and it was the most disgusting thing I've ever tasted. It just hits the back of your tongue. It like, Ugh, I don't even know like how people snort stuff. It's disturbing. Yeah. The violence that is happening to my face <laughs> when I snorted that. It kind of clogs up your like yeah. underneath your eye. It's not even comfortable. Yeah. It's like Yeah, it's it's horrible. It didn't and it didn't do anything. And what they asked me, like, do you feel it? I was like, Yeah, it's not bad. You know? <laughs> I uh, yeah. I had to do a couple like uh DY stints. Okay. So like nothing at all, but I was in Clinton County. And there was a guy that his idea was to take an orange peel and toothpaste in a penny. And then the toothpaste would oxidize the copper off of the penny onto the orange peel to mix with the vitamin C to help your body's absorption of something. 
Apparently, it was supposed to act like LSD. I've never looked into it. I've wanted to a hundred times, but I've, it's the prison and jail world is crazy as far as what you can get in, oh, yeah. what people are using, and then what people will use for other things, not even for those intended purposes. Yeah, what people drink. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So were you drinking in prison? No, no, no. I didn't drink at all in prison. Um, well, I tasted a couple of uh, yeah. prison wine, I guess, orange juice wine. I, ta- I tasted a couple, but I didn't, I didn't ever like drink a, a large amount. Like I got somebody gave me something, a cup, a small cup, and I drank a little bit of it. Like, yeah. You know, with, when they were looking, I poured it out. I mean, I paid for it, so. But they'd be offended if I poured it out. But I just, it was disgusting. And I wasn't interested in being drunk in prison. That would give me so much anxiety. Do you almost like, feel like you're forced like, to say yes in certain situations in prison to where you normally wouldn't? Yeah, because it establishes a certain sort of trust and a certain sort of camaraderie. Like, for example, when I was at Detroit Ryan Road, I was on parole technically. So this, you know, what they did was they paroled me to a program at a parole camp, which was just Detroit Ryan Road prison. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so I had this bunkie, and he was making some juice, and he's like, "Are you cool with this? Because you know, like, it's in the room." And I was like, "Yeah, you know, you do what you got to do. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm, just, you know, I, I'm minding my own business. Like, yeah. you know, because if I said no, you know, that puts me at risk of being." Something like a rat. Yeah, basically. Like, and being untrustworthy. So if something weird went down, like, people would, like, suspect me or whatever, right? So, uh, you know, so anyway, one day he accidentally left the juice container up on the desk during count, which is where you sit down and the, the, the officers come by and, like, make sure you're, everybody's where they're supposed to be. And the cop comes in and looks at it. He's like, whose is this? Just full on fucking panic attack because it's like if I get this ticket, I might not go home on time. I was on parole. Like, <laughs> so can you explain the ticket system in prison? I, I literally have no idea how it oh, works at oh, all. Or... So there's like class, I think it used to be like one, two, and three, or it's like A, B, and C. It's something there's three levels basically, but the lowest one is like it's like nothing. It's just like, uh, what is it called? Something duty. Like basically where you have to like pass out laundry or extra duty, I think it's called or whatever. Yeah. So a lot of those tickets, like it's just like, you know, like the only ticket I ever got actually was um, in Marquette. Third shit, like, so for a long time I had one or one, two shirts and two pair of, or two pair of underwear. So every time I showered, I had to hand wash my underwear and my shirt for like six months. And I would dry it on my bunk. But it's against the rules to hang your clothes on your bunk. And the only shift that cared was third shift. So if they came in and you had shit hanging on your bunk, at the end of your bunk, they'd write you a ticket for it. So I got, I got call once. I didn't take my shit down to time. Um, so I had to pass out laundry once for like two weeks. It's <laughs> not that bad. Uh, what's that? That doesn't seem that bad. No, it's not. But anyway, but like the, the higher level tickets are like, you know, like level two is like, I don't know, maybe, I think, I think it could be like tobacco, substance abuse, like, so like slightly more aggressive things and like, Alcohol would be like a class three. I'm pretty sure you'd get taken to the hole and you can be charged with a crime too, technically, I think. Like a manufacturing charge or something like that. Well, just it's, you know, like it's illegal to have, it's contraband. So it's like, and it's alcohol. And like you could get like distribution, but I I don't know, like I don't think they ever usually charge anybody. It's like, you just get, you don't get to get it out on time. (laughs) You get flopped. So, Uh, but yeah, and then like, yeah, so the class three, like fighting, you know, assault on an officer, a major out of place, like trying to like, or like, yeah, just stuff like that. So like, it's just like, 
it's just tickets are sort of like it's like <laughs> traffic violation misdemeanor felony so it's basically yeah yeah I get it yeah. <laughs> so no, that definitely makes sense um but yeah so while you're in prison and you're there for three years yeah you're there for three years yeah did you what was like one of the worst things that you saw while you were there I mean, like, from my understanding, it doesn't, like, I've talked to a few people, mm. and everybody's experience seems to be severely different. Mm. Um, one dude is basically just, like, keep your head down, you know, yeah. stay to yourself, yep. nothing happens. Another dude that I've talked to is very head up, stare everybody in the eye, do not look away, you know, almost let them know you're not afraid type thing. You can get a lot of fights doing that, though. I feel like... <laughs> yeah, and he was one of the guys that seemed to get a lot. He had a lot of fights. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he had some cool stories. Yeah, but yeah. So I mean, like during your experience, do you have any like? Crazy... I saw, I saw stuff. I didn't I, like. I took the approach of just keeping your head down. I, I read a lot of books, studied Russian, studied Chinese, Japanese, brushed up back on German, learned a little bit of like how to do French. I studied a whole bunch of languages, read a lot of history books, practiced math. And stuff like that. So, on top of like asking myself, like, why did you, why did you do that? Like, cause, yeah. like I said earlier, like inherently, I don't, you know, there was, you know, it's it's such a conflicting thing. And like, you know, it's the reason why it's hard to talk about. I think in a way is because I know that there's always this distrust, which, you know, we live in like some some weird hypocrisies, right? Like. As I talk, and if anybody that was involved with what I did ever hears me, and they hear me say, like, I never really wanted to hurt anybody. Like, it hurt me to do that. I feel like, and especially because of how I look, how I look. And that's why, like I told you earlier, I don't really identify with how I look, which is hard to explain as well. Like, I don't feel like this male, alpha male, like... I never saw myself. The tattooed bodybuilder. Yeah. Yeah. And like when I see this stuff on me, I see myself just expressing who I am. And when other people see me, I would just see something completely different. So I don't really like, I don't see, and I also just don't see myself as this big bodybuilder. And I don't even know how I see myself because it's like this ambiguous, you know, when somebody trying to tell me like, what do you, what do you view yourself as? I'm like, I view myself as a, a fucking purple unicorn because like, Whatever it is, like, and that's and that's the other part, like, why I've always felt different. I always felt like an alien, like, because I had terrible social skills. <laughs> so I always just felt like out of place. And it was like, it was in, yeah, we're going back to triggers and childhood trauma, but like, always being like made fun of for being like, like having Mexican jokes. But I was not, I would be made fun of by the Mexicans for not being Mexican enough and not being able to speak Spanish, which was a consequence of. You know, I hate to say that, a consequence of sort of racism, but not that Spanish is a brown person language because it did come from Spain, which is a whole nother topic, I suppose. Yeah, a lot of people <laughs> don't realize that. But anyway, but there's a certain shame that goes along with being brown and being your ancestors being from Mexico and not speaking Spanish. And there's still this divide between, I can, and I feel it whenever I come into somebody who's from Mexico as well or is a descendant of people from Mexico, there is a weird tension when they can speak Spanish and I can't. And... It depends on the person, and there are some that really, truly just don't give a fuck because they just don't, because they're genuinely good people and they don't yeah. care. And I've come across those guys, and those are like, to be perfectly honest, those are like the, the, the straight up dudes from Mexico. Yeah. Like, like the dark ones, like the workers, like, 
So why are you? But you were you're anyway. learning Russian. Yeah, you're learning all this other shit. Yeah, why I, not Spanish? Ah, uh, because just my childhood, I resented it for a very long time. Really? Yeah, I hated it because, you know, you know, I don't know if my mom would be mad at me for telling this, but you know, she essentially didn't teach us it because she just didn't think it'd be you know very useful, and she also didn't want us to have an accent. She didn't want, like, she was mistreated growing up for yeah. being Mexican, and she was as a result. You know, in a way, and I don't, I don't know if, if she, you know, would say this or understand it, but, you know, I think in a way she tried to make us, like, less Mexican to fit in more, you know, I think, maybe, you know, and it could have been subconscious or, it, you know, whatever, but I feel like that's sort of the consequence of how she grew up, sort yeah. of manifested that way. So, ooh, I get hit in the face with a bug. But, so, and as a result, she didn't teach us Spanish. So, even though my dad could speak pretty good Spanish, he went to, they actually met, so my parents met at Michigan State. My dad was close to graduating with, I think he, I think he was, his major was linguistics. So that's sort of where that kind of came from. And then part of the Russian too, is like, I found a Russian typewriter one day from my, that'd be cool to see. Uh, yeah, it was from my great grandfather. Apparently my great grandfather was a polyglot. He could speak Russian and stuff like that. But he learned Russian to read the Pravda newspaper, which came out during the cold war. And, um, Anyway, so yeah, so I got interested in, in languages from like a young age. Like I wanted to figure that stuff out, especially because, you know, I, you know, people thought I couldn't, you know, I was stupid because I couldn't read. So then I was like, I'm going to, and then it was one of those things, I'm going to read in two languages. And I'm pretty good at reading and writing Russian. My speaking, it's kind of bad because there's a lot of rules to remember and I don't have a lot of people to practice with. But anyway, um, so yeah, see how let's see how like all of it gets interconnected. Like it's yeah, just, I like, like it. This, this mash of yeah, no, it's real. Like it yeah. doesn't need to be a script or anything. Yeah, but it's just it's weird how all sort of like it can just kind of go backwards and forwards, and yeah. you just find yourself in different. It spots sounds and, like so from my perspective, hearing all this, it yeah. sounds like you never really fit in. Yeah, exactly. So I I just don't. <laughs> and it's yeah. Like, so and like so that's why and I was never like. I was never interested in gender norms either, which is also fascinating. But I do, I do like dressing like. So, I what guess, do you mean by gender norms? Like, and so, like, I, I don't know a lot of like the terminology. I'm not against it, you know. Yeah. Like, well, like, just, I'm just so, uneducated. Yeah, I, well, I should just say that the, the you know the traditional uh, Western family uh, male and female norms, which I think are sort of ridiculous too, where you know the dad works and the men are tough, and like, which there's a certain degree to to, to some of truth to some of that, and a lot of situations, there's a lot of nuance to it, and people might be mad at me for saying this, but, you know, there is nuance to that, and there is some reality to that, right? Um, men being a certain way, but it's, it's taught the wrong way, yeah. and it's taught the wrong way across cultures, and right now, you know, because, you know, obviously, we, we have to admit to the idea that there is two large groups, right? There's you know, in this whole binary thing that's sort of a social construct, but there are two large groups of people, and you know, you know, maybe this, yeah, I'm going really far just to explain why why I don't. <laughs> but anyway, so so there's this whole, you know, you know, gender identity, which is social construct. Um, where was I going to go with that? Man, oh man. You've kind of gotten into a whole new bucket of weeds. That I don't oh, know I know. Exists. But yeah, well, yeah, so. Yeah, gender identity, gender norms. I will just go back to gender norms. I can't remember what I was going with that, but you know, but there's the the stereotypical gender norm is like, oh yeah, I was, I was talking about how masculinity is yeah. sort of being taught 
even though there's there's this inherent it seems to be there's inherent need for you know i don't know a human desire to you know it's you know it, have you ever heard about what like representation is like we should have like equal representation for people of color like in hollywood and like lgbtq people as well like sort of this representation like in the media yeah heard of, yeah so like um but we don't get a lot of representation when it comes to how masculinity or whatever is presented. And so that causes a problem. But there is an inherent need, oh, and desire to be represented. That's where I was going with that. So when you're, when you, so when you're a cis person, that's, it means your gender sort of matches your sex, right? Your okay. bio, they match. And so, a lot of times, it seems to me, when you have cis men, men who identify with their, their sex, they have a desire to have a, somebody look up to who represents them, right? So if we, there is a certain degree to be tough because you know it is irrefutable that men have testosterone, blah, 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 all that stuff. I don't wanna get too far in the weeds on that, but like, there is some degree of, of you know, I always like this one saying, it's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war, right? Because humans seem to have this natural tendency towards violence. And if you teach humans how to be violent in the right situations, and you teach them how to control that aggression that most of us feel and never gets talked about, I suppose. But if we actually had men who say, it is okay to be violent when it's appropriate, right? When you're defending yourself, when you're defending your life, when you're defending somebody, when you're being a good person. And there is a lot of that in cis men, and it just exists. And with no guidance, it becomes this hyper-violent, hyper-masculine, like, explosion, basically. And I mean, you see it everywhere. And it's part of some of the problem that's happening in, you know, impoverished cities. You know, I hate to say it. And, like, that's sort of what we're dealing with in Adrian, you know. And that's, in a way, I sort of lacked, too, in this weird way, which I can maybe explain, but without people to identify with and represent and like I look like this mm -hmm. I'm this big tough guy so I hope more young guys can look at me and be like it's okay to wear stuff like this and support other people that feel different from yourself there's nothing wrong with being different and that's sort of by showing how much I can fit a masculine stereotype though I, I hope to break some of that and show that masculinity can be presented in a certain way yeah but yeah so anyway it's it's about guiding people in the right direction and identifying their struggle and identifying like basically their energy I guess their energy like where is that is it rage teach them how to deal with that mm -hmm. teach them how to be okay emotionally Teach them how to express that rage in healthy ways instead of violence and aggression and hypermasculinity, basically. Yeah. So, so they can still be tough, especially if somebody, f somebody feels the urge to be tough, they're going to figure out a way to be tough. And if that energy isn't guided in the right direction, it's going to be bad, usually, basically, is what I'm saying. Yeah. No, yeah. I completely get it. Just one second. Uh, sure. Yeah, I, 
so it, it's actually weird hearing you say this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I remember one of the first conversations that we had, it wasn't what I expected. <laughs> you know, it was, a, I think, yeah, it was at like uh, in the locker room. And I don't even remember what we were talking about, but like it just kind of veered into a more genuine conversation mm -hmm. than I actually expected. Um, I think I asked you something probably really corny, mm -hmm. you know, probably some supplement type thing or, um, but the response that I got was like a tangential response. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but that's kind of what attracted me to, you know, continue to find out kind of like what made you tick a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So like sitting over here and hearing everything that you're saying, it seems like you're trying to like fix the past, or is that a weird point of view to, to yeah, kind of you fix collect the, from that? What's that? So like so you go through you do this whole thing to where you you hurt people, yeah. you don't want to hurt them, mm -hmm. and you end up in prison, and now you're kind of doing like this swing. It almost sounds like to mm -hmm. where you're explaining that you don't want to be violent and you want to like help other people. Do you feel like that experience that you had that put you in prison mm -hmm. kind of like spun you in this loop to want to to be more of a positive person and kind of help out more? And yeah, because I had to sit there and think about, I mean, what just happened? I attacked three innocent people for raging about some jealousy and rage that I had. It had nothing to do with them, really. Nothing to do with them. It was about having control over somebody. That's all it was. I had to control somebody else because I couldn't control myself, basically. Yeah. I had been exploited in so many ways, and I was using this person as like some sort of anchor to reality, essentially, you know, like as an anchor of like my locus of control was them, and if I could control them, then my life was okay, and my life was at peace. But that manifested in, you know, emotional and, you know, physical abuse eventually, you know? So yeah. it's like that itself... And, you know, I'm not an innocent man and I've done a lot of bad things. And it's like, understanding that I was so out of control of myself that I emotionally and physically harmed other people is sort of this weird weight that I have to like continuously let go of because it's not something that I'm proud of and it's not something that I would do again, you know? Like yeah. if I could learn the lesson a different way I like totally would have, but all I learned, well, not all I learned, what I learned that was, had the most impact was I hurt people because I couldn't figure out how to deal with my rage and it manifested in, you know, what I thought I could control, you know, I thought I could control the situation. You can't control the situation. You know, I just thought I was like, you know, whatever. And I thought I could make, you know, whatever. And I didn't really want to hurt anybody, but because I was trying to be this you know, person and whatever, yell at them, like, all, the whole thing that I had in mind, uh, <laughs> got him, was the whole thing that I wanted to do was yell at them and be like, hey, fuck you, uh, yeah. like, but you know, I brought a new weapon into a unpredictable situation, mm -hmm. and so, you know, somebody got cut, and like... So now I get to be removed from society for, you know, what ended up being basically three years. It was like 20 days shy. Um, <laughs> but, and now, now there's somebody that walks around with a scar, I'm, I'm guessing, that is there because I was so 
far away from ever asking myself what from, from I was so far removed from even identifying that I had a problem at that you know when that happened that you know it's like it's messed up right and like I scared a lot of people <laughs> yeah you know and there are still people which you know like I was talking about this hypocrisy you know there's still people I think today that still think I'm somehow the same person 11 years ago and you know you know, I, you know, whatever, but it's like, you don't think I can change, but then you voted for some dude. So that's where everything so, stems from. Well, I, that too. It's like, yeah. it's just like this living hypocrisy that we also live in sometimes with yeah, some of, sure. some of what's going on in the world outside of our control. Some of these ideologies that people adopt, but at the same time, like it's lives in direct conflict with like their real life. And it's just like, they don't live what they believe in. And it's like, so incredibly like strange to me and I try my best to do I try to my best to live by how I believe you know and yeah I try and you know I'm not perfect and I wasn't perfect even after I got home from prison you know <laughs> like I still had a lot of struggles and still ended up you know emotionally hurting you know a lot of people and like there was one person who she stuck by me for like six years but like she you know I haven't talked to her in a really long time, but anyway, she was responsible for a lot of the change that took place, even post prison. Like a so, positive. You know, yeah, you know, we sh- like it was like one of those situations where like we should have just been friends. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you know, in the end, everything turned out all right, I suppose. You know, you know, I'm really happy with where I am now. I can't. Is there a reason you know, why you haven't talked to her? Well, I'm dating. You know, I'm in a relationship. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very, yeah, yeah. Very, you know, not, very, yeah, very you know, true. I, you know, I had been with this person for like six years, so it'd be sort of like you know, yeah, yeah. Really I forgot about that whole engagement <laughs> baby. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Don't get me wrong. Like, I think I'm exactly where I need to be and where I want to be. So, um, but yeah. So like, but just the lessons that I learned came at such a high cost, and that's something that's hard to live with sometimes and people probably won't want to believe that or don't believe it or will never believe it but like the amount of guilt and shame that i've held on to after doing the things that i've done like it's hard it's like it's so hard to explain and it's you know something that i'm dearly afraid like i'm having a son right so i want my son to never treat people the way that i did like for the like first 27 years of my life yeah you know like i you know when i was 21 and 22 i was a huge fucking asshole i was a huge asshole you know and by the time i got out of prison i was much less to a high degree much less of an asshole but still had a lot of work to do (laughs) and you know so but the whole purpose and you know i guess you had mentioned it's like i'm trying to fix the past and for a long time you know, that was the motivation and that was like, the, but that wasn't an unhealthy way to approach everything that I'm doing mm-hmm. because it did drive me nuts. And recently, you know, like it really got to me, like holding on to all those strings and trying to actually fix the past. You can't, but in a way, by fixing the past um, sort of figuratively, right? Yeah. You can fix the future by fixing the present because you learned from the past. I know, like, uh, 
so in uh, like twelve step programs, mm -hmm. they do uh, like the living amends type thing. Yeah, is that kind of? I have thought it? about that, but I don't know. I don't think the people that I hurt really would ever want to hear me and see me apologize to them. Well, by living amends, mm -hmm. um, is it, it's not like a direct amend. It's like, I hurt you, I apologize. Oh, yeah. It's more of uh, the people that are now in your life. Mm -hmm. you, you're you not going to do like those things again as yeah. a way of like apologizing for the past. Yeah. Thing. Well, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. And, and then, yeah, so it seems like you've done all this shit. You went to prison. You come out. That, that's not the dude that I know. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, like, we're not like obviously very close or anything. But how do you get from... This person, I'm from Adrian, so I feel like I have a right or I'm allowed to say it's a shitty town and instantly you are behind the ball just from being there. Unless you're a couple families. And yeah. we all know who those ones are. And they're actually good people too. So yeah. like I don't want to like feel like I'm shit talking to anybody. But you come from there, you, you don't have a lot going for you. So you come from that, go to prison, military, you do all these things, and now you're sitting across from me. Engaged, mm. gonna have a son. Mm. Graduated with a master's degree. Um, you're helping out people. You you are literally like the embodiment of like what people want in the gym. And <laughs> you're, I mean, let's be honest. You know, like that's kind of what a lot of people are going for is the aesthetics. Yeah. And not wanting to work on the inside. Yeah. You flipped that. Yeah. You, you have the outside, but that's not what matters. It's the inside that matters. But you're also trying to spread that. And help people less fortunate, and kind of bring people to the top with you. Yeah. How do you do that? And how, like, how do you get yourself out of coming from Adrian? There's a cloud. There's there's a very obvious gray cloud over that entire city, from my perspective. Yeah. And it seems like you're trying to just move a little bit to get some sunlight in. Maybe. How do you even get that positivity, and then the balls to kind of like actually do it? Because like. You're scared. Like, you've talked about being scared. And, like, you're doing all these... That's not man shit, yeah. you know? And so, how do you even push those and find out that that's something that you want to do? So, so wait, what, what are you asking me specifically? <laughs> so, specifically, I'm trying to figure out, like, how you even got into that mindset of, like, wanting to help other people and wanting to go inside and then actually going through and getting a master's degree. And um, then coming back. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, I mean, it's pretty, like, I guess, straightforward. Like, all of the stuff that I did, like I said, the realization of the cost of the lessons that I learned. Yeah. That's what made me want to do my best to change myself and stop what I was doing and behaving how I was. And also to stop other people from going through that to, to keep the cost of those lessons as low as possible when it comes to human harm, basically. Mm. And because I went through all of it and because I went from being in relationships that I, you know, was this controlling, abusive, you know, emotionally abusive person and, you know, physically at times, because I went from that to not that finally and over a very long period of time, you know, and knowing how much 
emotional pain was left with the people involved, obviously. But then knowing how much pain I felt as well for being a person that I did not want to be. And if you don't... It's like I always try to explain like people with mental health and people who are addicts. It's like the same thing. It's like you have to choose to recover. Like you have to choose on a daily basis to make to have different thoughts, to make different decisions, to stop like the triggers from identifying the triggers, you know, keep them from getting pulled, like make better choices, have a better routine, like all of that stuff. Like it takes, you know, the same discipline that can be, that I can exert on my body has to be exerted on your mind basically. Yeah. And like, you know, because if you don't, if you don't take care of it, if you don't take care of it, you're just going to keep doing that. And it's going to get, because, you know, the thing of it is for a while there, the reason why I got so bad is because it was like every person that I ended up hurting would add to this like shame and guilt and depression and shame and guilt and depression and like. You know, I tried killing myself a couple of times. I, you know, self-harmed quite a bit. Like, you know, it was always like trying to like repent somehow. But, you know, I had a lot of friends that killed themselves. But, you know, you know, that's not something I think. I knew in those moments, too, that if I just did that, then I would be known as the guy who just killed himself because he's a piece of shit. Right. Like, yeah, of course he killed himself. He was a fucking piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, a lot of times that's what, like, just stopped me because it's like, you know, I can, if I just live, like, what's the best way to prove people wrong at this point? It's just, just be the person that I'm meant to be and be the person that I want to be. And in the next 20 years, I have kids and, you know, hopefully someday a wife, and I'm just just Alex that no longer, you know, can try to control people or hurt people. And 20 years from now, you know, what can they say? You know, ask my wife, what do I do to you? You treat me with dignity and respect. And that's exactly what I'm trying my best to do every single day. And she's an amazing person <laughs> and she can deal with me. So, and I'm still, even to this day, like, I feel like even the remnants of everything that happened to me in the mental illness, like there are times when I'm hard to deal with. Like I get kind of snappy. <laughs> like, what do you want? Oh shit. Uh, and like, you know, so many, so much of it too is like, it's just like, it's just that remnant of like, you're not angry at the person that's like getting your attention. You're just like pissed off about something, but it's like the stimuli is there. So you're like, what? what? Uh you're reacting to the stimuli with anger because you're mad at something internally, right? Yeah. So, and that's all it really is. And like, you know, once you start to identify that, it gets like easier. Like, you know, I'm to the point now where it's like, <laughs> even when I've had a stressful day, like, you know, like, you know, like a lot of times you get to that point and like you're, you're having like one of those days where your fucking belt loop gets stuck on like the cabinet door and you're like, <laughs> and then you drop your coffee and then you just like lose your shit and you just fucking, yeah. like, you know, like throw everything yeah. and start screaming. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Fucking <laughs> yeah, like the world just ended yeah. because you dropped the fork. Yeah, yeah. But no, I've gotten to the point where like when that stuff happens now, even when I feel all of a sudden I feel that like this is fucking bullshit. I'm just like, nope. This is just a random circumstance. 
and then it just kind of like recedes. It's yeah. like this tide. It's like this tide that if you like can see it, you can like, I can. Haha, it didn't give me this time. You know what I mean? Like, it's a yeah. It's almost like but, a video game kind of. Yeah, and pe- and like that's the biggest thing is people. I don't think people are really honest and don't really talk about how they how you function as a human being. Like certain drives that humans have and certain things. It's weird that we don't like admitting like these weird inherent drives that we don't know. You know, every like everybody is, is like believes in like the social constructionist. I guess where everything about humanity is socially constructed, but it's like so every even our urges or whatever which once again begins to contradict itself even our urges aren't of biological origin supposedly but then like obviously when you get to when they start talking about sexuality it's like it's just the thing that you feel naturally and it's like but if our desires weren't biological then it's what society taught that person to be technically so it's like, you know, you get in these, some of these weird, like, tiny contradictions and, like, I don't know, maybe I haven't read enough literature and I'm not piecing it together at all correctly, but, like, some of the ideas that are sort of out there about some of this stuff, they sort of have these weird overlaps and contradictions, and I think that's why there's a lot of, there's a lot of fighting happening in a lot of, you know, some of these communities and some of, a lot of, like, well, really a lot of marginalized communities. There's, this, there's the being, there's, at least in my opinion, there's, a lot of divide, especially in academia too. There's, there's so much controversy about everything. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't want to talk too much about that. But <coughs> all right, well, I mean, we can just wrap it up if you want to. Um, I do. I need to know. So, so you, you got your master's. Mm-hmm. You, you know, I feel like you're a little bit of where I'm at right now. Mm-hmm. Like I, I messed up a lot in life as well. Kind of why I'm doing this, and now I'm like a year and a half, two years behind of like graduation mm-hmm. uh, with a master's. So that drive you're talking about and everything, you take that, you get your master's. Now what are you wanting to do with it? As far as like, are you wanting to stay within like your community of Adrian and like be that last warrior to actually care about mental health in Lenawee County? Or are you wanting to kind of go out and or like what's the what's the goal? I'm sort of doing both, and I'm gonna stick around in Adrian at least for a few years and give it a chance. Like, if I can get something viable alive in the next two or three years, I might stick around a little longer. Yeah. But if I really can't get something going in the next couple of years, I'm highly considering moving south. <laughs> so there is a big part of me, and I mean, either way it ends up, though, I'm going to move out of Adrian no matter what. Mm-hmm. But if I if if and by stick around, I mean I'll move to like somewhere within driving distance of Adrian so I can still help out and maintain some sort of like practice or something down there. Um, but I'm definitely going to move out to Adrian because there's something unnerving about allowing any of my kids to grow up in the Adrian area because, you know, what they say, the the sins of the father, like, kind of thing or whatever. Yeah, like, and I feel unfortunately, like, that school system, yeah, they're going to carry it. And it's not even the school system, the whole town. Like, if yeah. people in the town know me and people in, the, like, the local shops and things like that and, like, the local daycares or whatever, they see my son's last name and they figure out they're related to me. Who knows? Maybe we complete... You know, I don't have a lot of trust and hope for some of these people that I grew up with. They're, you know, they all turned out to be pretty big hypocrites. But, yeah. you know... But anyway, so like I'm, I'm definitely gonna move back out at some point. Now, is that something that you're gonna have to talk to your son about? I oh, mean, yeah, I'm definitely gonna be honest with my son about I mean, any any kids. That, you know, I think we're gonna if we have another one, we'll probably call it good at two. But anyway, <laughs> but with any kids that I have and any kids that I raise, you know, I'm gonna be as honest with them as possible. Uh, you know, as the time comes and as they get older and stuff like yeah. that. Like, 
you know, and sort of like explain to them, like, you know, if you ever run into anybody I know and I start talking about this stuff or you hear them say stuff about me, like some of it's going to be true. So I'm going to, you know, tell them as much as possible when, you know, when it's appropriate. Yeah. So. I like that. I, yeah. I don't, I don't feel like you should hide anything. It's, yeah. It and can, we, I think the biggest problem too with how we, a lot of people grew up is our parents and people's parents, they always try to shield their kids from reality. Like there's always this innocence, but there's a certain time, like, the closer and closer they get to like 10, like they start to realize like reality starts to get crushed for them when they're like, cause my reality was crushed when I was in elementary school. Like when elementary school comes and the first time the reality gets crushed, you have to just start being honest with them about how the world works. Yeah. Like, I mean, like what's the point in like shielding them from, you know what? So they can lose their innocence in a, in a way that they didn't expect. So if you tell them, Sometimes bad things happen and, you know, tell them to watch out for the bullies and listen, you know, X, Y, and Z. Some, sometimes people are going to do this to you or say these things to you and it's not going to be very nice, you know, and, and like tell them all the words and tell them all the things and tell them what it means and, you know, tell them what their options are. Like, look, there's a few ways you can deal with it. You can, if it doesn't bother you, just ignore them. If it bothers you, you stand up to them and you say, stop calling me that. And they say, or else what? You say, or else nothing. I'll tell the teacher and they say, well, if you tell the teacher, I'll beat you up. And you say if you, you know, teach them escalation of force, yeah. you know, that's, I mean, that's what it is. And you say, well, if you attack me, I'm going to defend myself. And that's why we take you to jujitsu every night, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, and I'm going to enroll my kids in martial arts and stuff like that, because I think it is important to be able to defend yourself and people, you know, there's certain movements and I, you know, support them, but there's some like loss of like logic and reality when you say the responsibility of, you know, people you shouldn't ever have to defend yourself or, you know, whatever that, like, that thing is, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, it's not real. You know, it's not like, and they call it victim blaming, but I'm not like talking about that, but it's like the world is a dangerous place. And until it's not dangerous, we need to know how to defend ourselves. So it's like, you know, short of, you know, getting a gun or something like that. And even that, like I'm mildly against, like, you know, I think you can have guns. That's a whole different topic, but yeah. anyway, but just being able to physically defend yourself, like, if somebody like tries to snatch you or grab you or punch you or pick a fight with you in the bar just to beat you up for no reason, like shit like that happens, you know, the world is in a safe place. So if you treat your kid like this world is a safe place, that's going to, you know, it's going to have cushions and pads. And if they fall down, somebody's going to be there to pick them up. And somebody, you know, and like, uh, you know, like, you know, people don't like the police, but it's like the police aren't there. They're nobody's going to pick you up. But anyway, so, <laughs> but, you know, it's like we get lied to, you know, people like talk about, are you going to lie to your kid about Santa? It's like, you know what? I'd probably lie to my kid about Santa and let them figure it out on their own, but I'm not going to lie to them about the world because what's going to happen when they figure out Santa's not real? They'll just look at me and be like, you know what? I had my suspicions, you asshole. Because like, my kid, you yeah. know, my kid's going to be, you know, I'm hoping that he's going to be a smart little bastard. You know, yeah. I'm going to try to teach him as much as I can. But, you know, I think that, especially at a certain age, like if I'm real with them enough about the world, they might figure out Santa Claus is some bullshit, like right away, and not, just not say anything to me, because maybe they'll be smart enough to not say anything so they get more presents, you know, I don't know. But anyway, so, yeah, I, th I think the biggest problem, like we have this idea that like, Life is this like soft thing where all of our all of our needs should be met. We should get these things, and we're entitled to all these things, and all of it, you know. And like, you know, I understand where it's all coming from. And they say all of these things are human rights, and I agree. And if we could get on board, we could like provide certain things. But 
until that time that we reach this utopia, I think we have to prepare ourselves and our children for the real reality that we live in right now. Because we can't attain those things in 24 hours or in a week or in a year or even maybe even a decade. Yeah. It's going to take a generation of people fighting for the things that we're talking about that we want now. So by the time it happens, it might be our grandkids that live to see the things that we're fighting for now. Mm-hmm. And so understanding that, I'm going to raise my kids to live in the world that I have grown up and lived in. Because more than likely, their world is going to be pretty similar. It's going to probably continue to change rapidly. You know, we're having self-driving cars and all this other stuff. We might have another technological... Like, if they somehow, like, create an even smarter computer, computer we might have, like, the, the post-industrial... I don't even know what revolution... The next yeah, technological revolution, what, right? Yeah. So, but anyway which would look much like the revolution that's happened, you know, you know, from what they had a horse and buggy in 1915 and they're on the moon in 1960. Yeah. Like 50. Yeah. Some years. It wasn't but, even or like when, when did the Wright brothers take off the first time? Yeah. I don't think he was the first guy. Well, like the, well, the first like sustained yeah, 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 flight yeah. or whatever the heck. Yeah. No, they weren't the first people in the air by any means. Yeah. No, there was a lot of balloonists that went up. Like yeah. there was this one like balloonist and they went up like 39,000 feet. Yeah, there's a movie about it. Back then, they just said, send it. (laughs) Yeah, they went up. Yeah, they went up. No, no, like, they didn't realize anything about the atmosphere. They almost died, so. But anyway. But yeah, I mean, there's people alive now. Like, my grandma, she grew up, like, there's cell phones weren't even, like, an idea. Yeah. You know? Like, they weren't even an idea until, like, Star Trek, really. That's when, like, some of the, I think, more of the the science, or, like, the more of the... um, Sci-fi was getting into like those communicators, you know. Yeah, for sure. But anyway, yeah. So that's I think that's my my technique that I would use to raise my kids. All right, I think that's good, man. Yeah. One more question. All right. Tonight is the Connor fight. Oh yeah. Who's who's winning? <laughs> I, I I don't know. To be perfectly honest, I mean it's it's been a while since Connor's won, but he did do a crazy training camp, so. Yeah. He could come out, and I mean, it's been a really long time since he won, but I think he might be able to pull it off. But also, if he doesn't, he should, he should probably call it a <laughs> <laughs> you know I, I mean, mean? He, he was on Forbes' uh, highest paid athletes list last year. Um, I think it was $180 million. <sighs> last year, just, well, it, but it was, I think it was 150, $150 million of that, or $130 million of that, one of those ratios was outside of the ring. And so he had made that much just last year off of like whiskey and sponsorships. Jesus. Yeah. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's set even if he retires. Oh, yeah. And he's, he's, his grandchildren are set. Well, as long as he raises his kids. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, exactly. wealth can go quickly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Cool. I think that's it, man. Let's get out of here. Yeah.